Everything F1, driven by fans, for the fans. This is the Everything F1 podcast. Today, we mourn the loss of Sir Frank Williams. We also talk about the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix coming this weekend. Uh, and we've got a special guest, Tom Gaymore. So there's plenty to talk about, so stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. Alongside me today from the Everything F1 team, we do have Tom. Hiya, Tom. How are you? Hello, sir. Very well. How are you? Uh, I'm very good. Uh, I'm a bit warmer in the garage this week. It's not as cold as it was <laughs> last week, so uh, I don't necessarily need the two hoodies. But uh, I'm sure that I'm sure every fan and listener at the moment will will be glad to to hear that I'm not freezing uh, in the garage today. Um, also alongside me from the Everything F1 team, we've got a newbie, uh, new to the uh, new to the podcast. It will be Callum. Hi, Callum. How are you? Right. I'm pretty good. I've had a busy day. But I'm ready to podcast uh, for the first time, popping my podcast cherry. It's very exciting. Brilliant. Well, well, I'm excited to uh, to, to pop that cherry with you, Callum. Um, uh, also alongside us today, we've got a, a spe- very special guest. Uh, we've got Tom Gaymore. Uh, hi, Tom. How are you? I'm Tom too. Do you realise there's two there's two Toms now in the room? So every time that you've mentioned the word Tom, my ears are pricked up, and I've almost answered your question before Tom has got in and uh, and, and done that for me. So I, I'm sure we'll tread on each other's toes at some stage during the podcast, Tom. I'll try and do, I'll try and direct it well. That's that, that's my job <laughs> to, to try and keep you tripping over each other. Uh, well, well, Tom uh, Gaymore. For any of our listeners that might not know who you are, might not have seen you either on social media or across any many of the platforms that you do broadcasting, can you kind of give us a, a brief outline of what it is you do? Yeah, so I used to race cars for a living and very early on in my career, I swapped the steering wheel for a microphone. I never thought that I would be a professional broadcaster growing up at school. My ambition was was very much to drive, but unfortunately I had an accident where I had uh, some corrected back surgery as a result and that together with a lack of fun. So we oh, heard yes. that before when it comes to yeah, yeah lack of fun. <laughs> Uh, and career momentum meant that that I needed to find a a way to put uh, uh, food and water on my table, so to speak. Growing up, it comes, it hits us all, doesn't it? That reality that we can no longer live under our parents' shadow and have to earn our own income and uh, stand on our own two feet. So I had to get a job, and I was very kindly offered an opportunity at Eurosport. And and sort of eight years on, I've, I've never looked back. So now I do various different things. You might have heard me on Le Mans, although I was ill this year. Uh, I do uh, Grand Prix Formula One with F1 TV. And I do Sky Sports F1's IndyCar coverage as well. So uh, I've had a fairly busy year and some two-wheeled stuff. We can talk about that as well if we've got any motorbike Yeah, fans. absolutely. I'm sure. Uh, the wonderful thing about motorsport is people tend to dip their toes in many different uh, kind of formulas and, and, and different types of racing, don't they? Anything with an engine. Okay, well, I'm, I'm happy to uh, kind of leave that there for the, for now, and we'll talk about that after we've got a couple of really uh, important things to touch on. We've obviously got the race uh, coming up in the weekend in Saudi Arabia, um, but we've also got 
more importantly, we want to basically thank Sir Frank Williams for his dedication to F1 uh, and obviously announced that he has unfortunately passed away at the age of 79 uh, over the, the weekend. Um, so uh, devastated um, when, when I heard the news. Such an iconic man from the grid, um, obviously ever present. And it would be an absolute shame, you know, but what we can look at is is absolutely superb legacy that he's left behind. You're a, obviously a, a massive motorsport fan, Tom Gaymore. What, what does Frank mean to you? I think Frank is is somebody that that underpins motorsport, doesn't he? Uh, his name is synonymous with with motorsport and everything that that he's achieved. Certainly, from from my adolescence, my childhood, I have incredibly fond memories. So, being an '80s baby, if you like, growing up in the '90s, I remember Williams. Sir Frank Williams and the likes of Damon Hill and, and Jacques Villeneuve and Alain Prost to a certain extent, although slightly, not before my time, but I was probably only about 10 years of age, didn't really understand what it took to be a world champion. But but as I got a bit older, the, the iconic, and we've seen it so many times recently because what a year mm. it's been. We lost uh, Murray as well, but that that when Murray says, I've got a lump in my throat, I've got to stop. And it was Damon Hill crossing the line in, in, a, in a Williams 96, wasn't it? And then 97 with Jacques Villeneuve. But those were special years for me, and not just for seeing Williams win, but but essentially the, the drama that played out. We, we've, we've talked a lot this year about the drama, that the, the pantomime villain aspect of Formula One between Verstappen and and Lewis and, and and we saw that in 96 and 97 between Damon Hill and, and, and Michael Schumacher to a certain mm-hmm. extent and, and certainly Jacques Villeneuve and, and Michael Schumacher that famous Hareth incident so I grew up watching the Williams brand and then when Jensen went to Williams in 2000 that was such a uh, a, a momentous moment for a young driver. We didn't see many young drivers bursting into a mm-hmm. top team. And, you know, that was a story that that I followed greatly. And then Juan Pablo Montoya, one of my most favourite drivers uh, on uh, of all time, really, on, on, on mm-hmm. a Grand Prix grid. You know, what he was able to do in the Williams car. And, you know, we always used to go back and, and, and see that, that pensive look on Sir Frank Williams's face. He never gave much away in terms of emotion, but he faced adversity throughout his motorsport career and getting the necessary funding and becoming a, a minnow to, to being a giant in the sport, but also in his personal life as well. The adversity he faced that's well documented in his personal life just made him a very special uh, inspirational uh, and quality example in terms of, of, of a man to follow. So those are my memories, really, and I'm sure I'm nattering on a bit now, but uh, I'd, I'd love to hear other people's memories to refresh my memory as well. That's the wonderful thing. When someone passes away, you always say, I wish they were here to, to hear the outpouring of love and and uh, praise for, for everything that they stood for and everything that, that they achieved, their legacy, if you like. And when you read tweets or you read obituaries or you have conversations like this, it's actually lovely hearing other people's memories and, and, and what that person meant to them as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually 
probably have very similar memories uh, as you. I'm not going to guess your age, but I, I, I imagine we're, we're, we're not we're not too far apart, I don't think. But I was certainly a you know 11, 12 year old boy watching Damon Hill cross the finish line in in '96 uh, to take the victory. So yeah, obviously Williams were a, were a massive team. I, I, we've always sport, supported uh, Williams because you know it's the British team. It's it was. This underdog that kind of always overachieved, it always had great, you know, you had the great designers, you had the likes of Adrian Newey at the team, you know, uh, we've had some iconic people um, within uh, Formula One at Williams and because of because of Frank Williams. And I think that's that, that's probably why he means so much to, to so many people, especially British fans, I'd say. Um, Tom, do you want to uh, say anything about Frank? Yeah, just, just to basically echo everything that's already been said about him. Um, and something which Tom, Dana, you mentioned that the name Williams is synonymous with F1. It's like I, I, I was born in the nineties, born in the early nineties, so I first started hearing about F1 in sort of about two thousand, two thousand and one. That was when I really first started to hear about it when I was about sort of six, seven years old. I think I was just a straight. I'm still trying to work it out. Um, <laughs> but um, but I, I always remember you would hear the three names. You'd hear. Ferrari, because when I started hearing about Formula One, Schumacher was in his dominance. You always heard about McLaren in 2003, 2004, that era with Kimi and, and, and all the rest of it. And then the third name that was always there, always there, was Williams. And I distinctly remember moving to their house that I spent the majority of my childhood and all my adolescence, and then my parents still live in to this day, Um uh, my dad bought me for my, I think it was for my PlayStation 2. He bought me this Williams F1 steering wheel wow. that plugged into the PS2. And I, I, I don't know what brand it was or anything. I remember I had the Gran Turismo game and it had the big BMW logo in the middle because obviously they had they had BMW engines at the time. Mm-hmm. And it said Williams F1 team across the top of it. And it was it was from there and it was, Sort of because of that, and because my grand used to watch F1 on the TV after my granddad died in 2003, um, she always used to watch Williams, like you said, to because they're a British team, it's the team you watch, yeah. And then also McLaren, and she used to follow Jensen Button as well. Um, but Williams is one of those names that if someone says F1, you go for our McLaren Williams, and when someone says Williams, they go Sir Frank Williams. Mm. He is the epitome of Williams. You know, he started that company with his bare hands, pretty much. You know, he, he, in Slough, was it I think so. And then I'm sure they, they the, the factory <laughs> or the location of where the headquarters is to this day is it was something like an old textiles factory or something. And, and they've just built and grown this empire that is Williams now. Mm. And one thing that I feel really happy about is that Frank is before he before his passing a few days ago, he has seen Williams, this Phoenix rise from the ashes this year. You know, he's seen them start moving back up the grid. He's seen fresh life in there. He's seen them come off the bottom of the constructors. He's seen them get points. I think there's something nice yeah. there as well, isn't there? I was looking at that, that, that he was able to sort of bookend the eras mm. from, from when it started, that, that he was able to see the, the the final chapter play out as as he as he sold the team alongside Claire last year in 2020 and, and, and was able to see that and you know I think he would have got a great deal of of joy watching George do what he's done as well young British driver and and then the other 
word that resonates with me, Tom, that you mentioned was, was sort of empire. Let, let's not forget their exploits in British touring cars, Williams, that is, and 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 also the sports car era from sort of 2000, 2001, alongside BMW. That that era of touring cars was such a powerful era that you know we we could all watch it. It was on grandstand, I wasn't it? it. And, and we all got to. I mean, Callum's probably thinking it's grandstand, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> But, but, you know, we could all watch that and, and it had such a big following. And, and, and so you, you were seeing the Williams brand with, with, with British drivers in Formula One. You were, you were seeing the Williams brand with, with Renault and, 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 and their successes in, in British touring cars as well. Uh, that, that for me was, was, you know, equally as impressive because to actually be successful in at the top of the sport, but to also actually move into really sort of niche and competitive areas, the British Touring Car Series and also Le Mans and, and the World Sports Car Championship and actually really take take the mic to, to other manufacturers there shows just the the, the sort of versatility and, 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 and the vision that, that Sir Frank had. Yeah, yeah. He, he was he was dedicated to, to motorsport, to racing. He was it was kind of just within his blood, wasn't it? You know, uh, he founded it in, in 1977, uh, Williams uh, Racing. And, and he lived... He lived in his his factory, you know. It's, it, that's I think that kind of just shows that this guy it, it was it wasn't just part of his life. It it was his life, and he just absolutely dedicated it to 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 trying to win, to push the boundaries. He always brought on you know great some great names. I'm, I'm going to list some of the names and some of the championships that he's won. Uh, got Alan Jones in 1980, drivers champion. Keke Rosberg uh, in 1982. Uh, Nelson Piquet uh, was a champion in 1987 Nigel Mansell in 1992 Alan Prost in 93 Damon Hill the one we've already spoken about uh, and Jacques Villeneuve in 96 and 97 respectively um, they, that, they're big names big championships really you know he also brought on um, he gave Nico Nico Rosberg obviously Keke's son uh, his opportunity and, and, and many other cha- champions that have gone on uh, at least drivers that have gone on to be champions uh, elsewhere he's brought them on and kind of given their first kind of break into the sport so, yeah. Sebastian Vettel yeah. for one yeah Seb yeah absolutely you know there's... I was watching that race the other day actually it was the USA Grand Prix was it USA that he sure was, was it USA. his first race I, I thought it was Turkey 2006 Turkey, yeah. yeah, Turkey, USA is second or third race or something mm, on yeah. those lines. Yeah, because looks so fresh, face <laughs> waving long because yeah, because yeah, Vettel, Vettel's I think still holds the record for the quickest penalty ever handed out in Formula One. And he got a penalty <laughs> for speeding in the pit lane in his first session. The other key point with the the drivers' types was different drivers as well, which in, in today's day and age where you've got one driver, Schumacher, Tom mentioned the Ferrari, and of course Lewis and Mercedes and Seb doing what he did at Red Bull. It, to, to actually have different drivers in the car, sometimes back-to-back years, just showed how um, how strong-minded Sir Frank was as well. No one was bigger than the team, and he he wasn't scared to to make big decisions and and, and make changes. And, and and he believed in the people that he was bringing in to to deliver, and and, and they did just that. And I think that uh, takes a great deal of courage. Mm. It does. Um, and obviously, you're talking about courage. Well, he had an accident in 1986 that changed his life. You know, he was always known for running around the track, running around the circuits, but you know, and and marathons uh, and and all this sort of thing. But in 1986, obviously, he was involved in a in a car accident where he rolled the car. He completely put his hand up and said, you know, it's to- totally my fault. He was responsible for it, and he be- he became a tetraplegic. Um, but he lived 
are very full. Uh, and, you know, as I say, in the pit lane for the rest of his life, practically, even though he, he was a tetraplegic. So yeah, the sheer courage that got him back into that grid uh, and made him still have the desire to want to win, to want to perform. Uh, and he was in the sport longer as a tetraplegic than he was without when when he wasn't. So it just shows that, you know, that that racing mind was always there uh, and he was always willing to, uh, to to kind of to put racing first in his life. Callum. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a as a young lad and the youngest on the, on the podcast, uh, what what can you say about um, Frank Williams? Obviously, you you know of him because you're a ma- you, you are a massive motorsport fan. So, what can you say? So, just looking at that list of uh, drivers' titles, the last one for Williams was actually one year before I was born. Funnily enough, um, <laughs> damn. Yeah, make, make us feel old, why don't yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> obviously, because uh, well, so my my relationship with Williams isn't obviously as strong as um, your relationships here, but um, I, I would obviously echo everything that has been said so far and just acknowledge that despite Frank's passing, the the name Williams will will remain a giant in F one, which I'm I'm sure we're all glad for, despite um, they're not the Williams family not actually being involved in the team for the past year but mm. yeah it's just important to acknowledge Frank's contribution to the sport he's obviously a giant um extremely important um and obviously all the hardships that he's faced he faced during his life and still building this team and constantly winning championships and constantly remaining in the sport as an independent team as well which mm. is extremely difficult um just looking at the number of independent teams that have fallen out of the sport over the years. Yeah, it's obviously important to acknowledge everything Frank's done, and I'm sure, historically, he'll be remembered for centuries, if the yeah. sport lives that long. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes, it will. Uh, and, and his name will, will be synonymous with Formula One, just as Ferrari, uh, and just as, uh, you know, uh, many other names that we, that, that we can mention. So, Sir Frank Williams, a true legend of the sport will go down in history as one of the great independent team owners certainly left his mark on the sport we salute you sir frank good night right so let's move on to something a bit more upbeat hopefully we're looking forward to the weekend in saudi arabia now saudi arabia is a new circuit it's absolutely brand new because it was only finished probably well, it's probably still being finished now uh, as as we're here <laughs> it is finished have you seen it uh, yet tom I have. I've seen various different pictures of the circuit um, uh, today, and, and, and there will be a Grand Prix there. It's it's all but finished, isn't it? it it's very much just putting the icing on the cake. Uh, mm. The cake has been built. It, I mean, it's a strange circuit. I'm looking forward to seeing how how things play out. I mean, I think the statistic seventy eight percent simulated on the in terms of the throttle map, so full throttle. Right. Okay. Which, which is a huge percentage. I mean, mm. crikey, you know, you, you're looking at almost a, an oval there for, for that. It's it's far from that. I mean, it doesn't resemble anything like an oval, but, you know, 70, 78% full throttle is, mm-hmm. is, a, is a sort of pretty unprecedented number. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how that, that plays out. I'm always fascinated when we go to new circuits, who's done their simulation work, who can rely and lean on their simulation work. Mm. And you always need a car that's reasonably quick out of the box. We don't have a huge amount of practice time. You have to have a a clean practice in terms of reliability and also eradicating any mistakes from the drivers. And we know that these 
tire models and 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 Formula One cars are very sensitive. So that there are always teams that just manage to get their heads around it that much quicker than, than some of the teams around them. It's going to be really fascinating seeing seeing that dynamic play out. It is. And as you say, they've only really done this on the sim. They're going to be, you know, wheels on the tarmac for the first time uh, on Friday morning. And there's going to be differences from the sim to the actual track because there always is. Um, so it's going to keep all the drivers on their toes. I can imagine there's going to be a lot of running in FP1 and FP2 um, this week. Um, so it'd be very, uh, very interesting to tune into those sessions. They are tyre limited, don't forget. So, so there will be running, but but they are always tight limited. So, so you've got to be careful uh, with, with that, uh, with that mindset. Mm. You've also got rule number one, don't bend it in terms of the, the driver. So, <laughs> Yes. Well, we could, we could be seeing many people off the track uh, uh, as, they, as they get used to it. Let's go over the, over the vital statistics from the track itself. So it's called uh, the Jeddah Corniche Circuit. It's 6.174 kilometres long with a total race distance of 308.450 kilometres. So we're getting 50 laps uh, around that circuit. Obviously, we haven't got a lap record, so it'll be interesting to see who takes that this week. Um, and it's the, it's the first GP this year. The tyre compounds that they're using is the C2, the C3 and the C4. So it's the kind of middle of the range they've, they've gone for there. So like you say, with the tyres, Tom, that could be quite interesting. Um, we'll have to see how the tyre strategies uh, do play out. Um, and you can tune in to watch it. Uh, obviously, these are UK times, so adjust accordingly, uh, depending on where you are uh, around the world. But Friday free practice is on at 13.30 uh, till 14.30. So 1 o'clock, 1.30 till 2.30. Uh, free practice 2 is 5 o'clock till 6, 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. Uh, on Friday. Free practice 3 on Saturday is at 2 p.m. till 3 p.m. And then qualifying on Saturday at 5 p.m. till 6 p.m. Uh, and then the race, the main show, the main event, the show itself uh, on a Sunday from 5:30 until 7:30 p.m. Okay, so let's discuss some expectations as we go into the weekend. Obviously, we've got the main championship battle, uh, which is only separated by eight points uh, between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. Um, I'm going to go to Tom Downey first, Tom. What are your ex? What are your expectations as a Max Verstappen oh. fan uh, going going into the weekend? Fireworks. <laughs> um, I think I think there's going to be a good battle between Max and Lewis this weekend. Um, I with with the run of form Hamilton is on at the moment, and given they've burnt through about 117 different internal combustion engines at Mercedes, they've practically, <laughs> they've practically got a menu to pick from. Um, I, I can understand five. why they did. Was, uh, yeah. It's five, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but but but, but t t two of them are very very fresh. Yeah, and um, you know, especially that Brazil spec one. They, it's uh, you know uh, that thing had some serious grunts. Obviously, combined with a driver of Hamilton's caliber, uh, does certainly complement it. Um, but Max, he's going to. I think so long as he can pick up a, a P two, and whether he gets fastest lap. Or if he keeps Hamilton away, or someone keeps Hamilton away from having fastest lap, he will just hold this most slender of leads going into, <laughs> into the final round. I just can't believe that we're going into the final round of 2021, and they could be level pegging on points. That still just—it's uh, a very real possibility. Very, very, very oh, real. Yeah, it is 100% a real possibility, and. 
that is the 2021 season summarized in a nutshell. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, th- there's no better way of sort of putting it that you know we've had so many trials and tribulations this year that it it is almost sort of written in the stars that they go into the final final round on points and Max wins it. <laughs> uh, Tom uh, Gaymore, uh, obviously, you you have got you've got to be completely impartial as a, as a broadcaster uh, and and kind of airing your your not opinions, but the, the, the kind of facts that, that are laid out in front of you while you're on air. Um, do you have any kind of inkling as to who's going to perform better? Uh, obviously, a track that pretty much is, is quite unknown. Yeah, I think you make a good point, Tom, about the engine. You know, what we saw at Interlagos was something that, that did rip up the form guide to a certain extent. All the momentum was with Red Bull and Max. And, you know, I, for one, thought that if Max and Red Bull could could get a result in Brazil, that was day done. Not only did they not get a result, the, the dominance of Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, with, to use Toto's words, the spicy engine, was... <laughs> was truly astounding you know let's not be around a bush you know that that had everyone scratching their heads mm. and to then go and repeat that in Qatar and then not have the that engine in and save that for what looks to be a more power dependent two races left on the calendar, I think puts Mercedes and Lewis in a really strong position. I never thought I would be saying that. And that's no disrespect to Lewis. It's just that all the momentum was with Red Bull, Honda and and Max Verstappen. And and they look really, really strong. And I remember watching the Mexico Grand Prix and I thought to myself that, that that's it. (laughs) <laughs> that there's just I, I just can't see and, and and yet again the season has just turned on its head and and it's going to be interesting the Mercedes are obviously going to have that power unit back in the car for, for the remaining two races that's an upgraded spec in, in terms of the ice so that uh, they well they look very very tough to beat especially if they have track position we thought that in Qatar it was going to be hard to pass. The simulations looked like it was going to be hard to pass. That was rubbish a bit in the race. Yeah. If you look at the simulations here, I, I can't see where people are going to be able to pass. I, I can't see that dynamic. And, and you're going to see a lot of dirty and turbulent air. And, and, and how are you going to get within that all-important DRS uh, one second when actually you shouldn't really be able to get within a second and a half looking at, 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 at the nature of the circuit. So, so that's going to be quite interesting and, and, and qualifying will be very important. And then when we look at qualifying, we look at not only the practice results, but who's got their head around the simulation. I, I think that whoever does qualify near the front of the grid will go on to win this race. So, and I know that's like, you know, stating the obvious, but, you know, to, to win a football game, you need to score a goal. But, <laughs> uh, but what I mean by that is, is whoever qualifies a, a ahead of the other. And you, you've really, 
you've really got to think, I mean, I'm not a betting person, but you've got to really think carefully if you're going to bet against Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, that the momentum is back with them. And, and I really do think we're going to have a fascinating weekend. These types of circuits, the unknowns, the, the, the close proximity of some of the walls, that kind of stuff, anything can happen at any time. We've seen that. I, I, I truly believe there is another twist in this tale. So it, it's just how do you predict which way that's going to go? Well, I hope there is because it's just been it's just as as, as neutral as I try and be, and it, I, I I always admit to having a British bias um, on here. Um, but as neutral as I try to be, I've I really hope that there's just something else happens because it would just keep it would be, it would make this not not that it's not anyway, but this season is already going to go down in history as as one of the greats, um, no doubt about it. But you know to keep that kind of it, the stories going even to the last kind of race would just be epic. Um, Callum, you, I, I, you're, you're a, you're a bit of a, a sim racer. Uh, you, you, you've, you've been, you've been on the F one twenty twenty. 2021. I haven't actually played. Jimmy oh, yet, sorry. Oh, okay. I haven't had a chance. Um, to be honest, the, it's kind of funny that the circuit looks itself like a hairpin, mm-hmm. um, having two hairpins. Uh, it also looks a lot like the twisty section at Circuit of the Americas, quite a lot of it, um, which you'd assume would play into Red Bull's hands, given that they tend to be the aero-centric mm. uh, of the top two. But looking at the season, you know, 12 one between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen in either position, a betting man would, you know, say one of them are gonna, one of them are gonna finish first and second, or both of them are gonna finish first and second, um, like. Tom Gaymore says it pretty much all comes down to qualifying mm-hmm. um, because it does look like a circuit where passing is going to be very, very difficult. Um, it depends on how quickly they go into the final hairpin before the main straight. Um, so if it's not going to be decided in qualifying, it will be decided at turn one, I would say, or if strategy comes into play, depending on how, uh, if they get to grips with the tyres quickly, since it is a new circuit. Um, obviously, in my heart, I want a Ferrari win before the season ends. <laughs> We've had a drought. Silverstone was a hope, but it unfortunately slipped away. Um, but ultimately, I think it's it's going to come down to Red Bull and Mercedes as it has done all season. So, what what and... are your thoughts then, uh, Callum? Um, do you think Max is going to play it safe, or do you think he might end up doing a, a Senna Prost kind of situation? I don't, think Max, I don't think Max ever plays it safe, really. Um, <laughs> not after what we saw in Brazil. Mm. Um, to be honest, I think. Because I think Red Bull probably know Abu Dhabi is probably a stronger circuit for them, given what happened last year. Um, but I don't know, man. Max is Max is chaotic. Could do anything <laughs> into turn one. Um, yeah, it, I, it. Part of me really wants Hamilton to win and Max come second, just so we have equal points going into the last last race. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can try and predict what's going to happen. It's going to be crazy, crazy weekend. Tom Gaymore, did it make sense for Max to take to take Lewis off early on? Do you think keep that, yeah. keep that eight point lead for himself? Cause think, massive controversy. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing with Max is he has two speeds, flat out and stop, mm. and he that's that's his approach, and and I, I don't see him changing that approach, and. One point that, that Callum made that, that's interesting is the aero efficiency of the Red Bull has been dominant 
in terms of the amount of load it produces versus the drag, that kind of stuff. In, in, until we went to Qatar last time, last time out, you know, effectively all, all things being equal, that, you know, that sort of middle sector to final sector should have really suited the Red Bull, but, mm. but it didn't. And, and that sort of really put a bit of a question mark over and, and added a real genuine what happened there question over over Red Bull's performance and, and they will desperately be asking and, and and looking at the data and asking questions themselves as to, as, as to what happened there because there's there's an element of will that repeat itself in Abu Dhabi mm. they won't be thinking of Abu Dhabi even though it's it's what two weeks away you know it'll, it'll be all all eyes on 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 this weekend and uh, and, and, and trying to get it done. And obviously Abu Dhabi's remodeled to a certain extent as well. Yeah. So, so that adds another another bit of a twist in it. Picking up on your Ferrari point, I can't see Ferrari being able to 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 manage much of a muster here. Seventy eight percent full throttle. It's not a circuit that that really plays to the Ferrari strengths. You know, we've seen that car very good in the slow to medium speed corners, the punch out of the corners, that kind of stuff. Mm. I, I, you know, with the higher downfall settings, I, I, I just don't think it'll be somewhere where where Ferrari can can really muster a challenge to to, to Red Bull and Mercedes, and and then that sort of opens up the question as to where will and we haven't talked about this yet. Where will Sergio Perez, Valtteri Bottas, and the likes of sort of Pierre Gasly fit in? Because that that's going to be a, 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 another sort of fascinating battle because for for the manufacturers. You know, Bottas and Perez, you know, that they really need to come to the table in in the final two races and support their teammates as well. Yeah, well, you, you've actually taken my next point off, which off me, yeah. which is absolutely fine to do. Um, you're you can tell I've been broadcasting. You, you, you're a professional. <laughs> you knew where we were going. That's it. Um, so yeah, let's talk about the second men because they are going to be play an, an integral part in obviously the constructors' championship um, for the last couple of races. Because again, that's only split by five points. Um, but obviously, they, they're, they're going to be able to help their teammate hopefully win the drivers' championship. We'll go to Tom Downey now. Um, Tom. Perez or Bottas this week? Is Bottas going to turn up or is he just driving for Red Bull this for the last couple of races? I don't think Bottas is going to do much this weekend. Um, he's going to be there to give Hamilton a toe down that enormous straight. Mm. Uh, and he's going to be there to try and hold up anybody who's behind him. Um, or they're going to say to him, Valtteri, execute Order Hungary 2021 and just absolutely send him at the inside and take out both the Red Bulls. Uh, as, as, as a Perez, um, I think he is really sort of settling into that Red Bull team now, and we know how ruthless they've been in the past with sacking drivers or demoting drivers. Um, you know, he seems all... very happy to play second fiddle, though, and, and, and he's like, you know, go on, you, you hear him over yeah. the radio, give him... Uh, Max the G on. Go, go on, you can do this. You get, you, I'll do this now. Come on. Yeah, and I, I, I like that. And, and people might say, oh, I, I'm not happy with, or I don't like there being a sort of hierarchy. But the last time we had a team where there were two drivers who were both vying for the title was 2016 with Mercedes. And look how that ended up at some points. Mm. Also, Perez knows that that team is Molded around Max because I think I think ever since the 2018 season, when Max really had an upper hand on Danny Rick, for example, mm. that was when the team started to become Red Bull, the Max Verstappen team, and I 
Max probably has a lot, a lot of influence in that team, the same way Hamilton has a lot of influence in that team. But Perez knows that going there, and and Perez knows that he is playing a support role. And we saw it in France earlier in the year. He is more than happy to get out of the way to let Max go past. Also, probably to do his own contract chances, you know, <laughs> so, so, some favours. There's, um, there's a cynic in you there, so somewhere, isn't oh, there? I, 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 absolutely, yeah. But um, but but I, I think without being harsh. Because let's be fair, I'd never fit in a Formula One car, let alone drive it. Um, and Perez is obviously a very, very good driver, you know, and we know how good he is with the tires. Mm. Um, you know, with sort of like extending runs and going on, you know, going on one, one-stop strategies and stuff. Perez knows the Red Bull is built around Max, and going there, he knows that he's not going to win a world title. Yes, Red Bull has been extremely good this year, but he knows probably that. Once Red Bull realised we've got a really good chance of getting both titles this year, it's going to be everything behind Max, and he knew he was going to be sacrificed in certain situations. I wouldn't say he's been sacrificed quite possibly as ruthlessly as Bottas has, <laughs> but um, but he knows that he was going to be made to move out of the way at some points. And I think if it wasn't for... If we look back to early in the season, I think if it wasn't for... Um, the blowout in Baku, we wouldn't have seen Perez with a win at all this year. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you might be right. Well, you definitely would be right in that circumstance because uh, Max would have would have gone on for that victory. Um, I'm always right. I'm always right, telling. <laughs> but they are going to play integral parts because it, it could be a three point extra swing uh, in Hamilton's favour if Bottas say gets gets second ahead of Max going into the final race. That they they will definitely be trying to use use their second drivers uh, in that in that sort of way so absolutely because the constructors is at one point i thought mercedes mercedes had it completely sewn up mm. but now there is only what three four points between them five five okay so that could be the difference between bottas coming third and coming seventh that could swing the constructors in red bull's favor it is that close mm-hmm. but it's important because bottas has had a few lackluster results this year so it's important that he's, he finishes few. the season strong Go on then, Tom. You look like you want to speak. He's looking better now. He has nothing to prove. And, you know, there was, uh, I saw a post after, I think it was one of Mexico, you know, sat there with a beer on Monday. And, you know, there's sort of a different Valtteri there. And Hmm. I think he's always had the ability. It's it's never been about his his one lap speed. It's just about his ability to do it when it matters. And I think... He stands in, you know, he's, he's in a good position now to to actually sign off this chapter of his career or journey, if you like, with, with two really good results. And, and, and I think he's good enough to do it as well. So, you know, if he can shoehorn into second place, because, I, I you know, I genuinely believe that, that Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes will, will win this weekend. And, and if he can be there and thereabouts in second place. It all depends on the equipment, you know, various other things, but it, it'll be, it, it, it'll give Red Bull real headache going into the, into the final weekend. And, and then it changes the dynamic completely because we've seen, it doesn't matter, sports theatre, and you see it in football, rugby, whatever, you can see when it, when you watch, you can see when a goal is going to happen. It's a bit like watching casualty. You can see when something's going to happen. Mm. And momentum is so, so important in sport. And, and that is with Mercedes and, and, and Lewis now. And I just think that if uh, Max goes to Abu Dhabi with a bloody nose from this weekend, 
I, I think it'd be really hard, even with his courage, confidence and ability. Absolutely, it will be. Um, well, let's move away from the front two teams. Uh, we, we, we have mentioned Ferrari briefly, but uh, as not-so-secret McLaren fans on the uh, Everything F1 podcast, it would be rude not to not to mention the McLaren boys. Um, Lando Norris and Danny Rick, uh, they're going to be... They've, they've kind of dropped off over the last few races uh, in, in relation to Ferrari. Uh, obviously, we mentioned those earlier. Can you see them maybe mounting an attack on uh, mounting an attack on them this weekend? A bit more, maybe even in front of Ferrari. Yeah, I think it, it's interesting because their form has wavered slightly. You don't really know what's going on with the cost caps and, and, and one eye on the new regulations and, and, and various other things as well. But I, I can't believe for one minute that you know with Zach's enthusiasm and ambition that that they have purposely turned their attentions elsewhere it just hasn't quite worked for them you've got the Alpha Tauri that just seems to be relentlessly quick at the moment and the Alpines have popped up haven't they so it's a really really tight midfield if you looked at the times the last couple of Grand Prix certainly in qualifying from sort of fifth down to 12th mm. it, it, it's very, very tight. So it, it's such fine margins. So I, I don't think there is anything there in terms of letting or dropping the ball. I, I just don't think they've quite got it right. And that's that's frustrating for them. But they've got two remarkably talented drivers. And there was obviously uh, an element where they really were on, on, on a crest of a wave. And that wasn't so long ago. Mm. So again when you go into these types of weekends, it allows for the form guide to be ripped up and there will be teams that get their head around it more than other teams or it or, or slightly quicker. And there's no reason why McLaren, McLaren can't do that. I think it'll be a, a really interesting fight between them and I mean, they should have the legs on Ferrari. That's a bold statement, but, but I <laughs> have the legs on Ferrari this weekend. But 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 we'll wait and see. Well, I hope so. As a as a not so secret McLaren fan, I think Callum is shaking his head down there. I, uh, I definitely don't. Know. <laughs> uh, fingers crossed. One thing I'd love to ask Callum is is how how well do you think Carlos has done this? You know, talking about sort of. McLaren alumni and and uh, and Carlos. So, so I'm a you know obviously massive Charles Leclerc fan, but 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 I'm a huge advocate for for Carlos science as well. And and I think his abilities. He, he we talk about underrated drivers. He he really is underrated. I, I think Carlos science is a huge talent and somebody that can really, really deliver at, at, at the top level. And there's been times this year where he's put Charles under huge amounts of pressure. And uh, it'll be interesting to to hear what, what sort of Callum says about that, because, it, you know, is it being noticed by the fans? Do, do they really do they really know how good Carlos is? Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um I think a lot of people were probably sitting back last year when Carlos announced that he was moving from McLaren to Ferrari, thinking this is just a disaster move for him. But he's obviously Ferrari's come come back and he's proven everyone wrong. You know, he's he's made a massive step up in the last two years and has proven himself as one of the best drivers on the grid. Um, underrated is the key word. I think now people are going to start looking at him differently, seeing that. When you look at someone like Daniel Ricciardo, who's fallen behind a little bit when it comes to switching to McLaren, um, whereas Carlos has been there every weekend against Charles and Lando, um, he's 
and Lando, exactly. He's put in extremely consistent performances. Um, his, particularly his qualifying pace surprised me the most, just being on it every weekend. Um, there's been a couple of hiccups, but I think that's expected of a driver, some sitting in, you know, the sort of upper midfield. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always been a fan of Carlos, um, mostly because the link to Fernando Alonso and Ferrari, but um, I've, yeah, I've always liked Carlos, and I think he's, he's one for the future. Um, people are looking at you know, drivers like Charles or uh, Lando or George, but I think Carlos is going to be there with them. Um, and it's interesting because thinking about how what we've talked about um, teams with really cemented first drivers, ironically now I think Ferrari has sort of got this two-driver dynamic, which I think most people would have looked at Charles thinking he's going to be the main man for the next four or five years. But yeah. now... Because it's only Alpine that really sort of have that balance exactly. by the lineup, really. Um, and Ferrari now probably looking at how Carlos has come in, a lot of people are expecting him to be just an easy second driver, the the, the Barrichello. Mm. But now I think it's quite obvious that both of both Carlos and Charles are extremely talented drivers and there doesn't need to be this one driver dynamic for Ferrari. Maybe that will change when it comes to a championship mounting season, but fingers crossed it won't be because I think both drivers are exceptional and they're going to be leading Ferrari for the next two, three years at least. Yeah, well, I can see it longer than that, but I'm also kind of tainted um, from Ferrari uh, and my my life of watching Ferrari have that kind of, you know, one, they can only manage one driver at a time. I, I, I just wonder whether they've got it in them to, to actually say, you know, actually, we want you to race, uh, carry on. I as a as a as somebody who's, again, quite cynical sometimes, uh, I, 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 it just makes me question whether they will kind of give them that, that kind of fair kind of playing field uh, when it comes to an actual championship run. Um, I, I'm, I'm willing to be proven wrong. I'm willing to be proven wrong. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about the, the Alpine and Alpha Tauri kind of com- competition. Um, obviously that, there's, there's only a handful of points in, in, in that kind of um, for the constructors. Um, but, it's really kind of one driver for the Alpha Tauri team that's kind of holding that com- that, that that fight or taking that fight to the Alpine team, and that's Pierre Gasly, who's just been an ama- amazing this year, consistent, um, always always there, kind of, uh, and he's, he really is driving that team forward and, and keeping it kind of uh, in the battle against Alpine. Um, Tom Gamel, um, have, have you managed to speak to to Pierre Gasly? Have you have you given him all the praise that he deserves because he, he absolutely does, does deserve yeah. everything. I've known Pierre for for a long time in in terms of having commentated on a lot of the junior formula and that and that goes for you know the likes of Carlos and and, and various other drivers when, when when you know when you see them come up the ladder and and, and you get a flavor of, of of who they are and what they stand for and the time that they afford other people and and they're sort of humble and, and, and kind nature and, and, and Carlos and Pierre are, are very much in, in that bracket that, that mm. there's it's no coincidence that, that they've gone on to be successful but but they win with grace although they don't win outright Grand Prix so to speak all the time week in week out they, they, they do they, everything they do they do with grace mm. and they're, they're incredibly talented but in, in, incredibly grounded and, 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 and very well liked it kind of not broke my heart, but you know, I feel I, I really felt for for Pierre and, and my partner, my fiance, who 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 just doesn't uh, have any interest in motorsport, loves to drive to survive series. You know, Pierre is 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 absolutely her favourite because of the the 
the way he was treated at Red Bull, but also the heartache with Antoine and 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 various other things that that, that played out. And 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 she she absolutely loves Pierre, and he's that likable, cheeky chappy, isn't he? And to see him doing what he's doing now, I think is 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 wonderful. And I don't think Yuki actually is doing a bad job at times. He showed real flashes of pace. He just can't do it consistently. And I think he's up against a real challenge. Do not underestimate what a good job Pierre Gasly is, is, is doing in that car. And then for, for the Alpine side of things, Esteban Ocon is obviously uh, very talented and, and, and Fernando, they just sort of go about their business quietly. They, they, they both got a smile on their face. It seems to be a happy environment, Alpine at the moment. And they've, they've been, been having a fairly good time of it. So they're, they're ending on a, on a high note. I just can't get used to their car and that kind of bulbous. Yeah. Every, every time I look at it, I, I just think, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's so but, big. Yeah, it's, just <laughs> it's like it's a design error. That can't possibly work. <laughs> so it's like someone smudged the design. I thought, Oh, we'll try it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll try it anyway. Okay, well, I don't want to go through it the whole grid because obviously we'll be yeah. here all night. But is there anyone else that you want to speak about? Uh, we'll go to Tom Downey first. Uh, any any particular driver that you want to mention just before we kind of round up the Saudi Arabian preview? I just want to say how nice it was to see Fernando Alonso back on the podium um, in, uh, in in Qatar. You know, he's, uh, he's, he's had an awful long time in between podiums. Can you see that? Years off. Can you see that momentum coming into uh, into Saudi Arabia then? Uh, if he gets a good qualifying, uh, possibly. Um, I don't know how well the runner will go around Saudi Arabia. Nobody knows how anybody's going to go around Saudi Arabia. <laughs> We've never so. been there before. I'm still not 100 percent if it's fully built. To be honest. <laughs> um, but we we will we will find out on the weekend. Um, yeah. Uh, other than that, we've covered off Gasly. Um, George Russell will probably do a decent job. In qualifying, um, let's hope. I think, that's, I think that's about it, to be honest. Callum, is there anyone you want to speak about before we uh, round up the Saudi Arabian preview? I think I've talked enough about sporadic midfield drivers, but um, <laughs> yeah. And top, Pass Tom Gaymore, any, any more uh, pearls of wisdom on the uh, Saudi Arabian weekend to come up? No, I just think it's going to be exciting. I, I'll be, you know, like I've endorsed all the way through the podcast that I really enjoy going to venues where there's a big question mark, a big unknown. It's a bit like having inclement weather, isn't it, really? It just adds that sort of dynamic that that builds that intrigue and that sort of fascination as to, to really what is going to happen because that's what Formula One's been missing at times over the years. Was it, It's too predictable. And this adds an area of unpredictability about it. So I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Let's 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 just make a prediction then. Bold predictions from all of you. Top three. Uh, we'll go to Callum first. Pop your uh, podcast cherry and make a prediction. Uh, I'll go Hamilton, Verstappen, and Perez. Tom Downey. Verstappen, Hamilton. Oh, he's torn that. He's torn. Bottas. I think I'm going to say Bottas. Okay. I slagged him off. <laughs> Tom Gaymore, top three. I'm going Hamilton, Bottas, Verstappen. My, my gut, obviously, because Verstappen and Hamilton are so far ahead in Qatar. But but I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something uh, unconventional in the mix. And I'm gonna say Hamilton. Hamilton's got, got the momentum, so I do think he's gonna be the victor. And I 
I do think that Max is going to find it a bit difficult with uh, with the other Ferrari. So I'm I'm actually going to agree fully with Tom Gaymore here today um, and say well, and put. No one's ever done that. <laughs> I'm going to put Bottas between uh, the two championship contenders because I just I just can see some little twist like that to happen. So that's our preview of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. We're all absolutely looking forward to it, uh, and I'm sure all of our listeners are too. Now it's time to uh, interview Tom Gaymore. Uh, so Tom, uh, was was kind of Formula One always a sport that you watched uh, growing up? Was was that what in kind of inspired you to become a racing driver, as you as you, as you said you were earlier? No, do you know what it, it it essentially wasn't. So I got into the sport fairly late, and the reason being is I came from a sporty family. My stepfather played professional cricket, Young England Professional of the Year, played for Surrey, blah blah wow. blah. And my grandfather was the England rugby doctor and the head medical delegate for the IRB. So like the wow. professors of Hawkins and rugby. So, so I grew up getting picked up from school by my granddad because my mum was always working <laughs> and going to watch England train at Twickenham and, and, and ball boying at Twickenham and doing all those things. Uh, being a very skinny and... Slight lad is the diplomatic way of putting it. I wasn't cut out to play rugby. So although I really enjoyed rugby, it wasn't whether or not I could tackle anybody else. It was whether or not I had any bones left in my body that weren't broken <laughs> if I got tackled by anyone else. Uh, I really enjoyed cricket. I played cricket to, to a high standard. But where I'm going with this is my granddad was also a doctor to a motorsport team right. and that team was was david price racing so they were based in bookham and dave price had a formula two team but before that he ran brabham's for bernie and 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 Bennett, you know did did all kinds of different things in formula one and then went to sports cars won le mans you know did things with nissan bmw mercedes blah 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 ran the panos and, and did all kinds of different things and I went as a, a sort of young 10, 11 year old with my granddad to book him to see the racing cars and I never looked back. So you could give me all the rugby balls and cricket bats in in sundry, but I wanted to go racing cars. But having come from a family that had no understanding or inclination as to how you went about uh, racing cars and or the necessary budget, it was quite challenging. And it wasn't until I entered a competition. So I did cut, I've sort of skipped a few sets. I went through the karting ladder and that was sort of nationally here and, and, and did, did, did a few things. And then I entered this sort of El Fast Track competition at right. Silverstone, which is for carters and, and, and aspiring young drivers. And that was to win a fully funded drive in Le Mans with Renault, doing Formula Renault, uh, living in Le Mans. And, and by hook or by crook, but basically I won it. And nice. I went to Lars Sexton, who was the, the, the sort of British karting champion at the time. And I, I had no clue what I was doing. All I could do was sort of pedal around pretty quickly. <laughs> had no understanding as to how to win a championship or or how to be a racing driver. I I, I not really had much of a, a of a um, upbringing in the sport or or really had anybody to sort of advise me. And I went 
through Lafitier had a reasonably strong year, qualified on pole and won at Poe. I think I finished fifth in the championship, had quite a, a few podiums, did various different things. Then I came back here and raced for Miguel in Formula Fours for Haywood. So you had Jensen Button in 98, um, Nick Chiesa in 99, Anthony Davidson in 2000. And then I was there and, 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 and doing various different things. I had Rubens Carapatoso and Clivio Pizzioni as my teammates. So Ruben had just won the World Karting Championship and Clivio Pizzioni had, had finished second to, right. to Lewis, of all people. <laughs> and that went quite well. I finished second in the championship. Stephen Kane won it in the end. He won the Autosport Award that year as well. And then I went off to do a bit of Renault V6 with Dave Price Racing, believe it or not. There you go. Uh, I always wanted to drive for David, but he always said, don't call me, I'll call you. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> Is that not so, that, there's not so subtle uh, brush off, yeah. was it? <laughs> yeah, and I'd always been doing sort of work experience there and trying to learn my trade. And, you know, every time the truck came back from Jerez with a whacking great gecko lizard, in the back or something like that they'd, they'd lock me in the back of the truck to try and catch it uh, that kind of stuff um, but then I I had something called a spondylolisthesis in my back which was undiagnosed so 20% of the world's population have it and I cut a long story short there was a lack of bony union in my spine. So my spine was, was not attached. So I needed a metal framework and bone grafts and all kinds of different wow. uh, bits of uh, metal stuck in my back to, to, to kind of firm that uh, area of my lumbar spine back up and, and to create the bony union. I saw Professor Sid Watkins actually with my granddad and we went through the scans and it, surgery was the only way. The surgery was really debilitating. I had to spend almost six months in, in a bedroom, essentially, wow. learning to work. And I had all the feeling, but... I couldn't activate my hip flexor or my glutes or anything like that because they cut through all of the, the muscle to, to get to the pelvis, to get the really soft bone, uh, to, to, to create the bone grafts. And, and it was really, really challenging. And actually it was more mentally challenging at the end of it than it was physically challenging. The, the physical aspect I, I kind of took in my stride and it was all just about being relentless and, 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 uh, and, and compulsive around the, the rehab and actually as, as somebody that had been training and, and, and wanting to, to be fit and, 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 and being at the top level, it, that was okay. But the, the mental side of things really got me and I didn't really grip the gravitas of, of how debilitating that was. And being a typical male, I sort of splashed my face with water and sort of said, man up and get on with it. But, you know, I was really struggling with not like a sort of PTSD, but like a, a, a real legacy around what had happened to me and the amount of time I'd spent in solitary confinement and not knowing whether or not I'd had a career. And then, of course, I didn't have a career. And, you know, it, it was quite a difficult time in my life, actually. And, mm. it, you know, I was really lucky to, to get the commentary opportunity and, and, and to try and sort of create a legacy for myself in the sport and, and, and create an opportunity and, and, and create my own earning capacity, but, but my own footprint as well. At first, I didn't want to do it. I, I say watching your friends go racing and then you talking about it is, is like watching someone else run off with the girl that you still love that doesn't wow. love you. But, um, but you know, it's really hard at the beginning, but mm. 
threatened with actually getting a meaningful nine to five. I, I had a quick rethink and, and I was uh, really lucky to get the opportunity at Eurosport and, and here we are. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you cover a, a wide variety of motorsports. Um, which one's your, which one's your favorite to cover? Do you know what? I, I'm, I'm often asked this and obviously as a young kid wanting to work in that race in Formula One to, to grow up and, 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 and work and commentate a Formula One race and, and, and be at the top level is, is special, but there are other events that mean a, a huge amount to me as well. The Indy 500 being one of them, Le Mans, for example, um, they are a really, really sort of pantomime style event to be part of because they, they have that special aura about them. I mean, Formula One's, mm really special don't get me wrong but there's something iconic about the indy 500 it's a bit like when you watch the super bowl that you know the americans just do such a good job with the show and you kind of get engrossed in it and you you, you you're sort of watching it covering it but you feel like you're in a movie you know with with all of the the, the pomp and ceremony at the beginning and that kind of stuff and yeah. so that that's really special and also when you watch the indy 500 in this country Sky Sports F1 is the only broadcaster showing it. So you've got that added pressure that everyone who's anyone's watching the the, the, the Indy 500 and, yeah. and that, that's not lost on me. So I, I don't get that nervous. But then when you think, crikey, everyone who's watching it. So this year I did it with Lando Norris, for example, at, yeah. uh, and Natalie Pinkham at, at, at McLaren. And, and it was... Um, you know, Lando sort of walked in and was like, I don't know anything about the Indy 500. So <laughs> and sort of Natalie was learning it for the first time and everyone was kind of looking at me and I'm like, well, crikey, I'm, you know, I, I suppose I am sort of an expert, but, you know, I wasn't hoping to be the only expert, you know, so, um, yeah. so, so you do feel a bit nervous in, in, in that sense. But I also enjoy the bikes. You know, I mentioned the bikes earlier on. I, when you get to do or you go into a bike paddock, you, you, the, the people that you meet in that paddock are, are really wonderful. That they, they are, it, it takes me back to karting. It's a real family environment and, mm. and, and it, they're not so much racing each other. The, the, the threat is, is the actual risk that they go through. And then there's a real camaraderie around getting through that risk and that threat. And then whoever wins at the end of it, you know, they have all that they'll celebrate collectively that there's a real sense of camaraderie and that there's that, you know, there's not, a, a, there's no egos, there's massive characters, but, but there's no egos. It's changing a little bit in the Grand Prix season uh, scene, but the, the majority of, of the, of the bike hmm. fraternity. And the other thing is, is the injuries, the, the crashes, you know, I remember the first, race I commentated on and, you know, I'm there with Steve Parrish, who was a MotoGP broadcaster for, for, for BBC Sport. And I'd sort of grown up watching him and, and listened to him and, you know, Barry Sheen's teammate. And, you know, I'm doing this first, first event and there's, there's, there's a, 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 a massive uh, incident and everyone's gone everywhere and, you know, flying, cartwheeling through there and everything, you know, and, I, and I'm genuinely crikey. I, I, you know, our thoughts are, are with everyone and I hope, you know, everyone's... And, and he's just like, what are you talking about? Of course they're going to be okay. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, but I think his leg's like hanging out on, 
So, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're just like, yeah, he'll be fine. They'll carry him <laughs> onto the bike. He'll race tomorrow. Like, no big deal. Like, you know what I mean? So they are a different took, breed, definitely. Yeah, that took a bit of getting used to the fact that they just literally poo-hoo everything. It's like, oh, oh, my thumbs come off. Well, ah, no big deal. Don't need a thumb anyway. You know, like just crack on. You know. It's like, <laughs> So, yeah, that side of things, I really enjoyed doing the bikes. I did the World Superbikes for two years, and I actually was taken off it to do Formula E in the end. But I would love, I I do the bike, I do the the World Endurance Championships, so the Boldor, Le Mans, that kind of stuff. I do it with Terry Reimer and Steve Parrish and Jack Burnicle and and one or two others. They're fabulous characters. And and so I enjoy that as well. So I've I've been really fortunate, basically. I've, I've, talked a lot you can tell i talk for a living but, but <laughs> that's I'm fine just, i have no preference i absolutely love what i do and and, and i'm really fortunate to to, to do a, a, a multiple you know various different championships excellent well yeah I, it, it must it must just be great being involved in in, in any aspect of, of of kind of motorsport let alone all, all of those aspects you know and different kind of yeah, bikes would be great to watch uh, and formula you're touching on formula e uh callum you're a, a massive formula e fan um, so, moment, yeah. so um, have you got a have you got a have for. you got a question for uh to, for tom game or on maybe on formula e on, on the coverage that he's kind of been involved in oh, oh, put me on the spot here now um well uh, so first question uh, have you been following recently i can't remember when you actually were involved I'm so sure I, I did uh the roundup programs for eurosport last season and then the year before i was actually doing some bbc5 live so the, the radio side of things for img for, for the championship but didn't do any live racing last season and i certainly haven't been following testing uh today and yesterday so uh well no good news <laughs> although i did I one of the deliveries one of the liveries look really quite trick i can't, I can't remember whose car it is but there, there's there, there's a new livery out there that looks quite good that may be the envision livery which is like totally green which is something that's new yeah it might be that one <laughs> have you got a question for tom game or today tom Downey. uh not not so much a question but just just uh i just i want to pick up on something that you said you, you said about like indycar sort of and american sports being like as it like a proper event and it's funny you should mention that because i remember back in 2010 i think it was i went to a basketball game at madison square gardens wow. in new york and one of the things I couldn't get over, because because coming from a because uh, also we talked a lot about rugby. I used to play a lot of rugby before I broke my leg. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, I actually had an operation where I had a lot of metal work put in my leg, so I feel I feel you're paying somewhat. So you're both but, um, both going through a, an airport um, security check. So set, not, setting the I wouldn't want to be behind you, you basically. Is it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, so, same thing. I'm very very friendly with the TSA agents, <laughs> but um, but it, it, it is it, it is like like you mentioned. It's like every sort of few minutes there's a break there's an ad there's something and it's just like it'll be like two minutes of of sporting action regardless of what the sport is and then it's like and then we're going to go down to play some dodgeball and then it's just like oh there's an advert i remember they was they were doing like a frisbee race or something in the middle of madison square gardens and as a commentator and as a sort of journalist i can't comprehend how you should go from the british sort of viewpoint of it where 
We sit down, we watch it, there's no interruptions. Woe betide anyone who puts an advert break in right before we start. And then you and then you go to the America you know, to the other side of the pond where things are sort of run by adverts. So as as a sort of commentator, how do you sort of is there anything in your mind where you switch from sort of like UK commentary to US commentary, for example, or do you just just yeah, sort of roll with it? I think you, you just sort of roll with it. They they never miss a branding opportunity, that's for sure. You know, every pit stop, he's in for some Sunoco fuel or he's on stickerettes. You know, the new tyres are called stickers in America. I think that that's fabulous. I won't bore you with, with the story of a friend of mine who went for his first test in America and they got on the radio and they said, right, bring it in. We're going to stick some stickers on it. And he thought, crikey, what, in the middle of a test day, you're going to stick some stickers on it now. But well, <laughs> well, they never is new tyres. But, um, but anyway, yeah, you just got to roll with it. It, it, it the worst is, is the cautions because they will try and get so many ad breaks out during the cautions and then you will go to a sort of four minute vt so let's say you're doing a race in iowa it, it's famous for its corn and, and various other things and they'll go to like a four minute vt all about corn and corn <laughs> <laughs> I've got a clue what's going on, but uh, but yeah, so so you just got to roll with that. I, I really do like it's a bit more informal, and and that's I like that sort of for me broadcasting's about the show, and 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 we look at. I was having this conversation the other day there's a real pressure nowadays to be correct about everything. And if you say something wrong, you know, the whole world, you break the internet. Mm. Whereas, you know, would Murray have survived in, in today's day and age? <laughs> because being a broadcaster, it, 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 you know, I like to think that you, you relate to somebody's voice and you relate to their personality and the way they bring the show and, and, and the, the enthusiasm and, and, and the fun that they bring to it. And mm. that to me is what I look in other broadcasters and some do it, some don't. I don't not like or like, I, I tend not to not like people. It's just some people work for you and some people don't. And I, I quite like that sort of informal style that, that that you can bring to the broadcast with with, with the American stuff, and and that is is again very similar to to, to the two world world. You, you you know it's it's a slightly different style of broadcasting. I I, I don't like to be too serious. You know I, I like and if I make a mistake, I like to make a a joke of it and and, and you know be a bit tongue in cheek and, and and have some fun. I've I've got to say, Tom, I have watched your coverage before of the Le Mans Twenty Four Hours, so I I I am actually really excited to have you on the podcast, oh, and I, I'm glad you mentioned about you sort of being tongue in cheek because I I will freely admit I am that nerd probably because I live by myself who will sit there when I'm watching a race and go, oh, actually that's that's how and so when when a commentator <laughs> makes a sort of slight error, but I I have noticed a few times when I've been watching things you you, you take it in your stride and that's. That's what I like about your commentary. It, it feels a lot more sort of, it feels like it's run by someone who is generally a motorsport fan, which you obviously are. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I like to, uh, hopefully that comes across anyway. And, and, and you know, those Definitely. kind words are much appreciated. You don't always get kind words. So, so I'll take that. Thank you very much, Tom. Do you um, do you think that having having the experience driving uh, has has given you that edge over somebody a comment a commentator that maybe didn't drive before? Yeah, I think that there's it takes the pressure off because 
like I said, there's a lot of pressure on young commentators now to to feel like they have to know absolutely everything. Mm. And where that affects their dynamic in terms of their broadcast is they might talk too much. Your role as a lead commentator is essentially to get the information out of the colour. It's not to answer your own questions. And, and so often the, the youngsters are under real pressure. Not you know sometimes experienced people if they're they're suffering from a crisis in confidence under real pressure to 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 make it out as though they know it all, because the, the, the fans are you know chastising them or, or saying one thing or another. Having driven, I a it allows me to to get a, a really clear picture as to, to what. I think the colour knows and what I want the colour to say. Mm-hmm. But actually, I, I, although I didn't reach the top level through injury, I've, I've kind of been there and done it. And, and I, I don't feel that, that I need to, to prove anything, if, if that makes sense. I, I think I've sort of earned my stripes and, and I've, you know, I, I have been there and done it. And, 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 and that side of things allows me to, to sort of, lean on the colour more and, 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 and make sure that the show's not about me. You know, the show's about the spectacle and, and, and the character I've got sat next to me and the information that they can bring. Talking about the, uh, the person usually sitting next to you, who, who has been the person that you've kind of bounced off well um, in, in the commentary box? And who would you maybe like to have next to you, you know, in the future uh, and to commentate next to? Well, it's quite funny. I've had quite a few friends in the commentary box and then they stick the cans on and you've got the open gallery and all of the talk back and they've been full of personality and, and, and smiles and conversation before the show. And then when they get on the show and everyone's talking to them and you ask them a question and they sort of look at you as though they've got th- you've got three heads and, and they their brains just ground to a halt because there's just <laughs> too much going on and they, they, they can't speak that that's always a funny dynamic but I've been lucky enough to, to share the commentary booth with 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 so many different people I think actually the, the, the biggest pleasure was sharing it with Julian Ryder I don't know if you know who Julian Ryder is if you if you watch the sort of MotoGP coverage mm. he is a fountain of all knowledge and he was you'll know his voice so he was that era with Toby Moody so it's Julian Ryder and, and Toby Moody and I and I've shared the night shift the graveyard shift that uh, it, it when we've been doing Le Mans the bold door with him and just listening to his stories and and actually just sitting back there and genuinely listening to his stories and then and and then realizing that oh god you've got to ask another question you just totally engrossed in, <laughs> in in what's uh what's going on and then you 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 know you realize that you've you've got to uh pick up the broadcast but you know i've been lucky enough to work with 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 a whole host of different people and and some really experienced broadcasters as well and uh, you know I, I don't see myself as a broadcaster i just uh, but but i'm I, I sort of am now. Um, and, <laughs> it's and, safe to say you are, I think. <laughs> Have the confidence in yourself. Yeah, definitely yeah, are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I do. I do um, you know, I've been really blessed and that, that there will hopefully be, you know, a lot of the people that I work with are actually, you know, friends now and, and are people that 
I can bring into the commentary box or, you know, a lot of the broadcasters will ask your opinion as to, to who, who you think would be a good fit and who you can get in. And so, you know, I'm really privileged to, to share my world with, with, with some friends. And like I said, it's a, a real baptism of fire for them. They, uh, <laughs> I, I remember getting to the first commercial break with, I think it was Adam Carroll. We're doing Formula E. Right. <laughs> and we got to the first commercial break. We just put the headphones down. He said, Oh my God, I can't let myself think. <laughs> <laughs> because there was just so many people there talking in his ears. That was funny. Yeah, it must be hard because you, you obviously got you know, somebody directing you in your ear and, and telling you things. Oh, what about this? And what about this? Is that a steep learning curve to, to take on board? Yeah, so a lot of you, you've got to be aware of, of what's going on because they're queuing you essentially. So you've got your fresh restarts, your queue points, your clean ins on all the graphics. You've got obviously your commercial breaks. You've got different networks joining. So you've got all kinds of different things going on. You've got interviews coming up in your ear. You've got uh, car radio. You, you, you know, you've got and they are talking flat out when i say talking flat out they are just relentlessly right rolling evs you know roll in pit lane radio rolling that rolling and you've got to be across all of that it's really hard mm. so and then you've got to be across the time screen so and and you know if when you come into the commentary box and you listen to what's going on that the first thing that everyone says is crikey i've got a new newfound respect for the commentators now and they all say i know i know why you might miss something now because of because of everything that's going on in your ears yeah i i i, I had a stint in sales where i did business to business sales on a telephone and uh, i had a manager who were training me at the time and i was obviously on this call and they, he was like say this say this. oh you need to mention i'm like i can't concentrate on the conversation so that's just one person and the kind of a very kind of clear you need to say this and that for hearing kind of a broadcast stream kind of going on in your ears it must just be on a, a completely another level and yeah i've got massive respect for anyone that can kind of kind of you kind of zone out but also kind of take it in as well is it's, it's it's that that sort of weird kind of combination of things you've got to be aware without listening and that is really difficult because the first mistake you do make is listen and then then it becomes a, a real you're in a real pickle then because uh yeah, you can easily get lost. <laughs> okay, well let's um, let's talk about Formula One and this season uh, in terms of what your opinions are. Um, we always ask our, our guests this: if you had five pounds right now, and you're in a very very tricky position now um, mm. because we, we are so close to the end of the season, and, and it is so close. Mm. Um, but if you had five pounds and a bookmaker sitting in front of you, uh, and he said you got your five pound to put on Lewis Hamilton to win or Max Verstappen to win, who, who are you going to choose to win the Formula One season? Well, I would have probably changed about six different times my bet, had, uh, <laughs> depending on which stage of the season you'd asked me. Uh, at this stage now, I genuinely think that the momentum's with Lewis. Right. And there's no point in sitting on the fence. You know, I could, I could give you a roundabout answer and say, well, let's just wait to see what happens this weekend. I, I genuinely feel if Lewis wins this weekend, he wins the title. Wow. Okay. That's pretty uh, direct, you know. You, you're confident in your answer there. And I, if, you'd, I, if, you'd, 
had asked me after Mexico, I'd have said no chance. Well, that, <laughs> I actually said no chance. That is that is exactly what we said. In fact, the Mexican. If you listen to if you ever listen to the podcast and listen to the Mexican review back, we were like, oh, that's the season over. You know, yeah. no, even our guest at the time said uh, said we you know it's, it's definitely a max win, and, and we were all completely wrong after the next race because it was it completely flipped the uh, the season over. Another one of our uh, questions that we ask every one of our guests is if you could uh, tell somebody, uh, say a British fan, because uh, we've mostly got British listeners, we do have people all over the world, so thank you very much for listening if you are listening elsewhere, um, but for our British fans that maybe only ever go to see Silverstone, um, what kind of flyaway race, not necessarily flyaway, um, but European or uh, America or, or wherever around the world, would you advise our fans to kind of go and watch live? And it doesn't have to be Formula One. It could be any event that you've maybe seen live that you think is an, an amazing event to go and see. It could be anywhere for the for the kind of atmosphere. It could be for the the weekend itself, the the, the destination itself, and, and kind of nightlife and something outside of the race. So my 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 favourite street tracks are Perth, Macau. So those right. very very special. Uh, to me and, and it's a wonderful part of France as well it's, it's an incredible circuit and the world touring cars are going back there next year or WTCR and I really hope they revise top level single seater racing around there but they have the Formula Renault cars and various other things so Pope Brilliant Macau is is just a, a wonderful weekend and when you see the bikes going around Macau as well as the F3 cars and the the the, the GT World Cup and various other things mm. is and the WTCR cars. I mean, Macau's kind of struggled over, over the last couple of years because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but hopefully if they get back to some proper FIA events uh, around Macau, that, that's something to go and, and look for. Le Mans is really special. Mm. Uh, I lived in Le Mans, so I've been to, to many a different Le Mans. And that in itself is is just a, the the sense, the emotion that you get, and the sense of camaraderie just by staying up and being part of the audience and the event. Mm. It, the, the, the sort of that that feeling that you get there it is like nothing else you would experience in, in any other motorsport event. There, there is there is something special about that. Uh-huh. And then I'm a big advocate for for racing in America. If you go and race or you go and watch races in America, proper old school circuits, so lots of undulation, big curbs, there's grass, there's gravel. It, it's it's tough, really, really difficult. And there's some wonderful, you know, you look at Road America, Road Atlanta, Nashville this year, obviously the Indy 500, but that's a slightly different event. But, you know, you look at Sebring and, and uh, Daytona 24 and that kind of stuff. So racing in the States is very, very different to, to it is here. It's, it, it's a bit more raw mm-hmm. and, the access is there and, and you, you get to, to see the drivers and you get really up close to, to the teams and the cars. And like I said, old school circuits. So you're right up against the catch fence as well. So, so that's, that's amazing. And if you go and see the oval, the, 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 you know, the Indy cars doing 235 miles an hour into turn one at, at, at Indy now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's pretty special. So obviously, I've I've said quite a few different things, but hopefully, some that 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 others haven't said. You know, Poe and Macau are wonderful, and and some of the the racing in the states. You know, Road America, Road Atlanta, that kind of stuff. You're really, really 
special, special places to go. Some places that have a real heartbeat. So some of the, the modern F1 circuits, you really feel like you could be anywhere in the world mm. when you're in the venue. Whereas you go to some of the venues that I've just mentioned there and, 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 and they, they, there's a nostalgia about it. You know, you can really sense the, 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 the you know what what the event's all about and mm-hmm. and, and and those that feeling and, and the smell and and the, the 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 sensation that you get will be really unique to that to that event and and for me that 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 really underpins motorsport that's what motorsport's all about excellent well you've made me want to go over there and and and, and experience that yeah. absolutely Um, well, we're going to uh, shoot over to Callum now, who's going to kind of run down what's happened uh, in testing for the Formula E. Callum, this is oh, your time to shine. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> um, yes, so for those who don't know and that uh, haven't read my article, Wink Wink, on uh, the Everything F1 website about Formula E testing that's been happening this week at the uh, Circuit Ricardo Tomo in Valencia, um, where it took place last year as well. Um a lot of stuff's been happening. It's very interesting. Um, the first day, Monday, I have the timings. Um, it it was a, a definitely a build day for a lot of drivers. Right. Um, there's been a fair few driver switches. Um, there's some new drivers as well, including one Antonio Giovinazzi. Mm-hmm. Um, the new drivers um, among among Giovinazzi are Askew and Tictum, Dan Tictum and Oliver Askew. Um, names I'm sure people are very familiar Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Um, yeah. They they've been it's been a slow start for them getting used to the car and Antonio Giovinazzi this um, today said that he had no idea coming into it what the car was going to be about and it's almost confusing for him because he's driven so many different types of cars nothing is like the Formula E car right um, because of the way that braking works recharge all that kind of all that kind of stuff so yeah it's been um, a couple of days of growth for those two drivers I think of all three of them. Uh, Askew seems to be the one that's now more consistent. I think Giovinazzi's still got a little bit more of time. Time to needs more time to grow. Right. Um, Tictum's been kind of. I, th- I definitely think it's it, it's going to be more difficult for him. It seems to be at the moment. Um, but that may be to do with the Neo car not being the best on the grid. Right. Okay. Um, so we'll see how that plays out during the season. Um, Couldn't have happened to a nicer bloke. <laughs> yeah, I, I won't talk about that. Um, at the front of the grid, it seems to be um, the same players as last year um, that are putting in the best times. It was uh, today. It was Stoffel Van Dorn that set the best time of the first two days. Um, and I will stress, testing hasn't finished, so they could go seconds quicker over the next couple of days. Um, Stoffel, yeah, Stoffel Van Dorn set the fastest time today, which was a one twenty six, which is very interesting. Um, because Mercedes, being the team that won last year and are leaving next year, obviously want to go out on a high note. Um, I mentioned in my article I'm sort of looking towards Stoffel to be the main player this year, just because last year was very consistent season for him, but there were some unfortunate accidents in certain races caused by certain Brazilian drivers driving through the pit lane. <laughs> <laughs> that may have cost him um, the points needed just to get him over the line. Right. But I think Stoffel, you know, he's he's been in Formula E for, you know, years now. 
it's his time to shine and he obviously wants to go out on a high note before Mercedes leave. Whether he'll stay, whether they'll end up in IndyCar, we don't know. Um, but I know they were testing IndyCar um, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, alongside Stoffel, um, I have to mention Jake Dennis and also, um, I think it was Mortara today, also setting really, really quick times um, within 0.1 of a second. So um, they are looking... Same same players as last year, Matara, Dennis, DeVry, um, Degrassi, who has switched to Venturi, looking very quick, um, up to speed very quickly in the Venturi car. Um, but what I will emphasise, and I think Formula E fans are probably used to this by now, the field is extremely close. Um, the time set today, all the way up to 18th within a second. Um, and this is, this is a circuit that is probably a bit longer than most... Uh, Formula E circuit, so I think even the times going into the the street circuits during the season are going to be mega close. So it should be another really good, really tight season, a lot of chaos, everything that you want out of Formula E. Excellent. Well, for uh, our f- fans, obviously they're going to be mainly Formula One uh, fans, and some people are kind of put off with Formula E. You know, they don't they don't like the sound, they don't like they, it's it, you know there's gimmicks and stuff like that that maybe F1 well. I mean, we've included some gimmicks this year in F1, but if if you had a kind of a sales pitch or the the chance to kind of sell to F1 fans, uh, Formula E, could you? And I'm going to ask Tom Gaymore this as well as, as as somebody who has presented or or commentated on on FE. How would you pitch it to a Formula One fan? Don't compare the two. He's always. A good start. <laughs> I think that that's the. The, the mistake we all make as motorsport fans and especially when you try and understand what Formula E is about and try and digest its USP. I'm old enough to start most sentences in my day. So <laughs> my day used to be able to hear the Formula One cars on the A43. <laughs> uh, so... You know, I, I get that. And that's why I say don't compare the two, that, that they're not the same. But what Formula E does do is bring motorsport to city centres. And that is exciting in itself. And they get it right sometimes. They don't, in other times, the circuit can be a bit fiddly sometimes. But other times they're just right. And actually it's really good close racing and the real spectacle in in the town centre the cars are quick and will continue to develop and they deliver actually a, a lot of torque and their acceleration is 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 really impressive the level of technology in the cars and the ability to test the driver in an unprecedented fashion mm. is also quite interesting to look into and digest so there are drivers that really will not be able to get their head around all of the technical aspects of a Formula E car and how you act. There's a, there's a tactical element to Formula E racing that you don't see anywhere in the world. And that is, is not often talked about. So, so I, and, and sometimes we, we get really frustrated with, Formula One engineers telling drivers what to do and this and that and, you know, spoon fed and blah, blah, blah. And, and, uh, okay, it's not as flippant as that and it's not as easy, but but it's actually uh, 
a damn sight harder in Formula E. And although they're, they're constantly in contact with their engineers and constantly talking and, and, and delivering energy numbers and that kind of stuff, they, they really need to work it out for themselves in terms of how they regenerate energy and how they develop lap time. So, so I think from that side of things, it, 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 the more you get into it and the more you start to understand it, the more fascinated you become by it. If you're just looking for a spectacle and a comparison to Formula One, yeah. it's, it's a non-starter. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go down that road at all. <laughs> that would be my sales pitch. How about, how about you, Callum? Have you got a sales pitch for uh, any Formula One fans? Uh, so to on top over? of everything... On top of everything that Tom has said, which is obviously absolutely correct, I would say Formula E is the sort of cheesy B-movie to Formula One's sort of Hollywood spectacle. Um, I mean, in some ways, I go into it sort of treating it as kind of, not not unseriously, but in that it comes across in a way that's supposed to feel more fun. Right, okay. Um compared to something like formula one which feels really serious and you know serious rivalry etc etc formula e feels ball and i think the, the gimmicks on top of it sort of help with that um the one the one thing that's great about you know the formula e engine the electric engine is you can get away with doing these sort of crazy things like with the engine adding extra power at random points um to enhance the racing it's something you can't do in Formula One. It's something you can't really do with a combustion engine. Um, I would say that the one thing I would remove, and I know I'm supposed to be selling Formula E, the one thing I would remove is fan boost, um, just because I think that maybe takes it one step one step too far. Right. Okay. Um, and I'm I understand that they're going for an element of you know getting the the fans involved, but. Yeah, it feels a little bit... It's, it's the same people that win it every single time. Exactly. Like, the joke is that van boost is the thing. Um, <laughs> and it, it tends to be XF1 drivers, so you know that people transitioning to Formula E coming from Formula 1 are, are voting for those drivers. Uh, the the addition of attack mode in recent um, seasons has been, I think, amazing for the sport because it almost acts like uh, a sort of... Not as a, a replacement for, for pit lane, but uh, for when you, you do an undercut or an overcut, I think... Attack mode is like the perfect Formula E replacement, the most gimmicky like Mario Karty replacement for that, and it has really enhanced the racing as well. Um, and I, I would suggest almost that the sort of craziness that's happened in the last two seasons of Formula E has has come from that addition. Um, yeah, I, I I'd really encourage more people to sort of look past the engine sound and actually sit back and just sort of enjoy a sort of crazy fun interesting new form of racing um that formula e is quickly becoming and yeah hopefully this season will be just as good as the last one and everyone can enjoy that okay okay well you, you, you've you've inspired me to watch a few more I, I only kind of dabble in it unfortunately at the moment but uh, i'll have to uh to, to, to pay a lot more ten- attention to it and obviously well, this... i'll be covering it a plenty over the next season, yeah and so... I'll, I'll i'll have an excuse because we've got we brought you on to, to kind of cover that so that's great um, well, I think we've we've crammed full uh, our podcast today. We've had lots to talk about. Um, Tom uh, Downey has unfortunately had to disappear due to a family emergency, so I do apologise about the absence of him uh, from the last few moments of the podcast. But I do thank um, our guest today for coming on to speak to us, Tom Gaymore. Thank you very much for coming to chat to us today, Tom. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. I, I don't do too many podcasts, so I don't think I'm funny enough, but... <laughs> 
hopefully, hopefully I've brought some kind of uh, enjoyment and insight to, to your podcast. Well done for delivering such a, a, a professional platform. So uh, I wish you every success. Thank you. For, for the short term and, and next year as well. So all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. We are Everything F1. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, we've also got our website, www.everythingf1.com. And, of course, you can hit that subscribe button on the podcast itself to get all of our latest podcasts in your ears as soon as they drop. So thank you very much for listening to me today. Thanks very much to Callum. Thank you, Callum. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much, Tom. And thank you very much, everybody, for listening. We will speak to you next week where we review the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix with the spanners from Miss the Apex podcast. Okay, bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.